Hey everyone! Welcome to the RUF at TC podcast. RUF is a community on campus learning about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. For more information about and ways you can support RUF at TCU, please visit ruf.org slash TCU. Let me read this scripture then I'll pray for us, okay? So it's from James chapter 1, verse 26 to chapter 2, verse 7. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and and heirs to the kingdom of God? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? We pray and ask God to teach us his word tonight. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for RUF and we thank you for uh, those that are here. And we pray now that you would uh, do a miracle and by miracle you would soften our hardened hearts to respond to your word of truth that we've just read from the book of James. Uh, would you do that for your glory alone, we pray. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, kind of taking a break from Revelation, um, we're going to kind of come in and talk about what day-to-day living looks like, essentially, while we wait for the coming of our Lord. And uh, the question I want to open up with this, this evening is, what does the gospel want to do in you if you are a Christian. So if, you, if you're a believer here, what, what, is, what does the gospel want to do in you over these next two or three years as a college student, uh, these next X amount of years, or even after college, whatever, whatever, wherever life takes you, what's the point? And, and maybe some kind of drilling in with that a little bit, like what, what can you expect? What should you expect? Um, likewise, if, if you're not a Christian, I would say maybe think about tonight like this, what makes Christianity so different? Why should I even entertain the idea of Christianity versus all these other uh, religions and faiths and, and, and uh, you know, whatever it is? What would make Christianity attractive, so attractive that I might want to consider it? I think there's something here for you tonight as well. Because as Christians, like we understand sort of the beginning of this life of faith and maybe the end of this life of faith. Right? We, we, be, we understand that at some point in time, you maybe made a profession of faith. You said, all right, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. We all have that testimony and story, and we kind of look at it as like, this is where I, I became a Christian. This is where that started for me. And then we know that at some point in time at our death, whenever that is, many, many years down the road from here, uh, you're going to go be in heaven. And maybe you're talking a little bit about that, what that looks like. Um, you're going to go be with Jesus. And, and there's some mystery about what that's going to look like. It's, it's exciting, especially as you look at the book of Revelation. But those two things, as they are, we struggle with what is in between. 
we, we struggle with, with sort of connecting the dots. Is okay, I, I, get, I get where we're going, but what am I supposed to do now? What does Jesus want me to do here? How should I live? What can I expect? Enter then the book of James, who is also the brother of Jesus, which if you feel like you had a hard time, you know, with your siblings raised, being raised in whatever home you're shadowed by your older brother or sister, just think of James, okay? Shackled to the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. Um, so, um, yeah, he needed some counseling for sure when this was all over, but um, that's, that's where James comes from, okay? Um, it's actually pretty, pretty cool when you kind of study it, his, his person. It wasn't clear that he was really a believer until after Jesus resurrected from the dead. Um, I find that fascinating. That has nothing to do with our sermon, but that's just an interesting thing. His book, though, is all about what authentic faith looks like or should look like as the Spirit works in your life. All right? At the same time, as we trust the Spirit's work in our life, James calls, James calls us then to examine our lives. So we know the Spirit's working in us. At the same time, we're called to examine our lives. What does my life of faith look like? What do I see? Do I claim to have faith, which would be also referred to as an internal reality, but no works to prove it, which we will call external fruits? of that internal reality. In other words, what does my life look like as a Christian? And would anybody be able to say, hey, you know what, there's something different about Ryan. That's James. That's what he wants to tap into for you as you read him. So what does he want to, look, what does he want to say to us tonight? What does James want to talk about in the text that we just read that is something that we should be seeing in ourselves as the gospel takes root and produces a fruit? And this is really the one thing I want us to look at, is that Christians, one of the things that we should be seeing is that Christians should be people who navigate life in freedom and not out of fear. Christians should be people who navigate life in freedom, not out of fear. And we come, or we can move through life in freedom, because as Christians, we know who we ultimately belong to. That, that's That's... that's that's the gospel. We belong to Jesus because we belong to him. All right, according to James, this allows us the ability to move into, out into life in freedom and not in fear. And the two things that are not in your handout that I, I want us to kind of use as signposts as we go through this text of understanding just how James wants to communicate this to us is the signs of authentic faith all right, and the test of authentic faith. Okay, So those are the two things. The signs of authentic faith and the test of authentic faith. So let's look at that first one, the signs of authentic faith. Uh, James gives us three signs here to look at to see if we are practicing, and he uses the phrase true religion. I don't know where right now that's a really good phrase to use, so I'm just going to kind of cut that out. Um, and, and he's using it sort of in a, um, you know, sort of a religious people kind of thing. Um, it's fine. I'm just going to use something different called and that's okay to do, by the way. Um, uh, just authentic faith. What, is, what should real faith look like? Okay, not changing the word of God. just want to make sure that's clear. Um, so three things he gives us there. And in and, and verse 26 to 27, we see this. So you know, we're going to kind of walk through this pretty fast, but this will be the longest section of, of tonight. And uh, so the first one, the first sign there he, he talks about is, is to bridle or to tame your speech. And that's in verse 26. Uh, look at it with me. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Now, James will say later that it's actually impossible for anyone to tame his or her tongue. So what does he mean? What is he getting at here? He means that our speech can actually be a visible fruit of what is going on inside of us. It's a visible thing of what's going on inside of our heart. So as a Christian, I should at least care about what I say to others. Might be a practical application of that. And while I won't be perfect at this, none of us are, there should be a desire to repent, right, to ask for forgiveness when we do say things to people that hurt. Right, that should be going on in our lives. I'll say this, if, you know, if, I, if I claim to be a minister of the gospel, right, and you come over to my house, and we, we, I don't know what we're doing, having food, I don't know, hanging out, you're watching my kids, I don't know what it is, um, <clears throat> hint, hint, um, and like, we're just talking, and, and like half of my words are F-bombs, and I'm telling jokes that are degrading to people, um, I, I, sh- I, I share in gossip with you. you, you might begin to question if I'm really buying what it is I'm selling as a minister, wouldn't you? You'd begin to question, like, is this guy, you know, is he Christian? That's the point here of what James is saying. Um, what comes out of our mouths can actually be a tangible, visible reality, a sign of what's going on internally. That is, if I truly belong to Jesus, then my words are not my own. So how does he want me to use them for building up or tearing down? Like, these are the questions that then begin to go on in our minds. As to, as to what I should do about this, okay? Now, no, let me say this from the beginning. James is not saying, if you do this, right? If, if, if the only thing that, that comes out of your mouth is terrible, horrible things, he's not, or, or I shall reverse that. If, if you are this person that never says anything ugly to anybody, right? You never hurt people's feelings. Um, he's not saying that if this is the way that you are, you will become a Christian or that these things make you a Christian. Let me be very clear about that because James is kind of tricky. Saving faith in Jesus Christ is the only thing that makes you a Christian. What James is saying is this is how you know your faith is genuine. As you begin to care about, it make you perfect, but what you begin to care about comes out of your mouth. Right? Bridle, your t- bridle, bridle your tongue. Okay? All right, and, and, and just another, another thing about this before we move on. Um, this is something that... James is wisdom literature. It's the Proverbs of the New Testament. So I don't want to give you something here in the next couple of minutes where it's like, okay, I need, I need to find out if I'm a Christian because I, I don't know if I am anymore after the things that I said this past weekend. Um, <clears throat> how do I know if I'm changing? And, and you really have to give yourself years, maybe months, years with this. Let's go with years. And the best way that I like to sort of phrase it is, like, if you're a senior in this room, what, what were you like as a freshman? Right, don't think too long about that, but just, you know, like... The words of your, like, has there been a change in the way that you think about how you talk to people? Uh, is your desire to want to build people up, or is it constantly trying to tear them down because you're so insecure about who you are? And look, if you've seen a little bit of change in that, praise the Lord for that. That's the gospel at work in your life, according to James. Absolutely it is. So I want to give you that measure real quick, because we're going to go through a couple more of these, and I don't want you to start, you know, wondering what's the fix here. Uh, it's wisdom literature, which means it takes a lot of time and thought and process. All right? So that's that. Okay, that's the first sign, bridle your tongue. The second sign that he gives us here in verse 27, if you look at it, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and the widows in their affliction. Okay, this is, this is the one that sort of levels everybody. And I, I don't know when the last time you kind of took the day off to go 
some retirement home and hang out with some widows or called up some foster parents and said, hey, can I watch your kids so you can go have a break? I mean, that's at least how I kind of think about it. I don't do this at all. Is this what James is asking of me? You know, what is this about? Why does James focus on orphans and widows? Why not those who are lonely and struggling in life? Why doesn't he just say that? Well, the key word here is in their affliction, okay? And he uses orphans and widows to represent a group of people who have nothing to offer you for your help and care. So yes, go, go help and serve orphans and widows. But the point here is that are you only going after people? Again, this is a sign of true religion, authentic faith. Remember that, right? Are you only going after people who benefit you? Are you only going after people who have something to give you uh, is what James is getting at. Because the, the point of going after orphans and widows in their affliction, these are people who can't offer you anything. In fact, it's not that they can't offer you anything. They will take everything you have. It's a cost. It's an exchange. And he's simply asking, he's saying, look, if you're navigating life, only going to those in the room who can benefit you, then maybe there's something about the gospel that's not sinking in. And he actually turns it on us for a little bit. And he says, it's not just that. It's just, it's actually you, you should be serving people in your life that are costing you something. I'm like, this levels me. So look, if, you're, if it's getting sweaty, you're getting hot out of here, whatever, like, this is what James wants to do here. He wants to press in a little bit and be like, are you awake? Like, is this really a gospel you believe in? Because here is a sign that, that, that should be coming out in, uh, in your life. It is a selfless love that proves that your motives are not geared towards what you can get out of this. Okay, now look. James is also going to say that none of our motives are ever pure. And Ryan has probably said that to you before. That's true. We don't need to wait until we have pure motives. Again, it's a sign. It's something we're, we're looking for. So how do you know you're not serving others to feel better about yourself or to help you look good to another group of people? What's James's point here? Who are you loving in your circles where serving them costs you something? That's his point. Because that way you'll know, like, I'm not in this to get something from you. I'm in this because I really want to extend like, the love and the care that I've been given and extended through the gospel. This is how it works in our lives. And that way Christians become agents of Jesus' sacrificial love. Jesus came to serve a bunch of people who could offer him nothing. As a matter of fact, if you take it a little further, it's not that he came to serve a bunch of people who could offer him nothing. He came to serve a bunch of people who ultimately killed him. Right, cost him everything. That's who he came for. And part of what James is getting at is that is actually real love, sacrificial love. The Bible calls that grace because it's been given to us. And so one of the signs then becomes is that that begins to show up as we navigate our lives and love and serve other people. So who are you moving towards in your lives? It's a question that, that James is all over here. It's a question that I would write down. And I would ask for the rest of my life, because everything I say, about, say here about this, this doesn't go away after college. Right? This is, I'm 39. This is going on in my life still, and it'll go on until I die. This stuff goes with you forever. So who are you moving towards in, in your lives on this campus, in this city, that cannot benefit your resume? Can't get you elected to some club? Or, you know, me when I was in college, <laughs> who don't... <laughs> who doesn't have a beach house or lake house to take you on spring break, you know, like are other people that we're just hanging out with because of the things they can give us. That's what he's, that's what he's asking. 
Are there relationships, though, that actually cost you something to be friends with them? That's the sign. Now note, caring for the margins of society, again, doesn't make you a Christian. Today, ironically, it's actually popular to do that. It's a a cool thing. You can go and you can champion any minority group, any, any marginalized group, and you can do it for your own benefit, right? People get elected to do that kind of thing. Uh, not to say that that's not always the place. I mean, not all elected officials. Y'all know where I'm going with that. You can do it with different motives, right? You can do it with bad motives. You can do it with good motives. The point here that James is making is that the only thing that makes you a Christian is saving faith in Jesus. He doesn't want you to confuse the work with the grace of the gospel there. Um, okay, so let's go to that last one there. Final, uh, the final sign of authentic faith. We've seen that uh, the, the first sign that he gives us. And, and if these sound random, they should. <laughs> these are pretty random. Is, is to bridle your tongue, like care about and watch what comes out of your mouth, um, visit the orphans and widows. And then finally, this last sign, he says in verse 27, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, what does he mean by this? Uh, this is the same thing as saying, you might have heard this, be in the world, not of it. You might have heard that phrase before. So leave, you know, to leave or to isolate yourself from the world would be to fail this test because you would now not, no longer be in it. Uh, to conform to the world would fail the test as well. But living in the world without becoming worldly would pass the test. So there's, a, there's a desire and a drive here from James to say, look, we, we don't need you to go and be in a land where there's no more bad people as if that even you know, can exist. The problem's here in your heart. We need you to grow roots, be planted where you are, and live the gospel out in front of all kinds of people. All right? But don't let the world... Right, don't be conformed by that, by that world, the worldly practice. Be conformed by the spirit that's inside of you. Be in it, not of it. That's what that means, okay? So those are the three signs James gives of true religion, of authentic faith, if I could use that phrase. Now, how do I know if I'm doing this? How do I know if my faith is authentic? How, you know, yeah, how, what, what's the test here? And James says this is easy. And he says, do you play favorites? Okay, at this point, I'm not connecting the dots here. James, where are you taking me? All right, you've got three of the most random tests here or, or signs for what it means to, to have authentic faith. And now you're telling me that the, the test for this uh, is favoritism, is choosing favorites. And that's what he says here in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Look with me again here in this scenario that he gives. This kind of all flows together, even though it's divided by a chapter there. He says, my brothers, show no partiality. That's favoritism. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he gives a scenario about a, a rich man who comes into a room. He's got rings, got all the things, things on. And you go to him and you say, hey, I want you to come with me. Let me take you to the front row. I want you to come be seen by everybody. I want you to be seen with me. I want to give you preferential treatment. All right. At the same time, a poor person comes in the room. And basically what James says is you just kind of ignore that person. And then that day it would be like, you know, you sit over here or you sit at my feet, right? Which would be a little uh, derogatory. Uh, it would be disrespectful. Um, and what makes it disrespectful isn't so much uh, what's being said in and of each person. It's, it's in comparison to what you've already done to somebody else. It's showing partiality. It's favoritism. Now, at this point, if you're like, what does this have to do with anything? You're in the right place. Keep going. Keep coming with me, okay? Um, James wants to run this test of favoritism to prove or to help us understand if we are, um, you know, if our faith is authentic. All right. And I want to define favoritism, which real quick, just basic definition, is the practice of giving 
unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. It's not having a best friend, right? We all got best friends, we got besties. We got people we prefer maybe to be around or we just, you know, we kind of just got a lot more in common than other people. It's not having best friends, that's, that's, that's not what he's talking about. It's not liking one of your children one day more than the other. That is totally gonna happen. Be prepared for that. Um, it's liking them only because of what they can give you back. Let me say that again. Preferential treatment, favoritism according to James, is liking somebody only for what they can give you back. Okay? So how is this test a test of authentic faith? Let me run through this, and then we'll get to the application and be done. First, favoritism violates the first sign of bridal tongues. Notice what he does here. He ties this all together in this little illustration. He says, when you pick favorites, your words to one group will be set against the words of another. In this case, what is said to the poor man, you stand over here, you sit down here at my feet, is now disrespectful to a person made in the image of God when you have gone to the rich man and you said, come with me. Come with me. Please sit here. Favoritism is James, for James, automatically pins your words against another. Even even if in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with those words. Nothing wrong with me going to anybody and saying, hey, come sit with me. But when I do it at the expense of somebody else, which is what favoritism is, that's where he says it fails the first test. Right? Your words, the, what's coming out of your mouth is not bridled. You're failing that test. Um, and that's his point for, for, that, first, for that first test. The second thing is that favorism violates the test of widows and orphans. And you're trying to think, well, why does it do that? In James's scenario, why does the rich man get the better seat and not the poor man? Why would anybody make an effort to go and take the poor man through or the rich man through and give him you know, the best treatment? It's because the rich man can repay. Right? The rich man can offer him something. He can get him a connection, maybe. He can get him into some inner circle that's going to give him some type of you know, future. Or maybe just invite him over one day where he can have a good meal. Who can't offer him anything in this scenario? It's the poor man. He doesn't have the connections. He doesn't have the, need, the means. And in this day and age, which is really shocking with James, the kind of culturalness of the Bible is that nobody... Nobody would pay attention to the poor person. You would always pay attention to those who could help you better your, you know, your life, whatever it would be. And so James is coming in and saying, that is not how the gospel works. That is not a value of the kingdom. All right. So that's, that's the way it fails the second test. Lastly, favoritism violates the, the test of keeping oneself and staying from the world. How? What is more worldly than playing favorites? What is more worldly than navigating life and going towards people in partiality for what they can give you back. I mean, this is the story of American politics, is it not? Right? This is, I'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right? This is what, what gives us that inner disgust is we see people using people for the wrong reasons. Not to say that all politics are bad. I'm just saying, all right, kind of that, that, that. That's that. That is the world. That is not a value of the kingdom. Christians play in that world, and often, many times, Christians, uh, you know, become of that world as opposed to being in it. But James is saying this violate, the favoritism, partiality violates 
the test of authentic faith in all of these ways because it, it is by definition the world's game and the world's rules. Okay? All right. So James is not saying don't ever serve someone rich. Let's just be clear about that. He's not saying don't ever try to help someone who could offer you something in return. James is getting us to ask the harder question, and this is what wisdom does for us. How are you moving towards others and why? And if there's a question that I would have loved to have been presented to me when I was in college is that one. Because my entire college life was navigating, navigating my life socially based on what people could give me. Didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. How are you moving towards others and why? How are you navigating life? Who, and this is the goal of wisdom literature to begin with, who are you becoming? So I think it's so helpful for you to give yourself maybe a little bit of break here and be like, you know what? I'm going to ask Ryan or Brittany to kind of check back in with me in about six months, maybe a year or two years. Or maybe some of you seniors, the best thing you could do with your campus minister is sit down and say, hey, what, what would you say? How, how, have I, how have I changed in the past two years? Or to sit down with your best friend, which is a good reason to have good friends, and say, can you be honest with me? Like, how have I changed here? Like, is the gospel really at root in my life? Uh, and I would say, look, care less about what they say, although care about it, and care more about the fact that you actually ask the question. Because pe- people who don't have the spirit don't care about that kind of thing. Like, why? Well, I'm just going to go get out of life whatever I want to get out of it. So be encouraged. I know this is heavy stuff, but be encouraged and, and, and ask yourself these hard questions and, and, and let people speak into your life as a way of, of, of growing in your faith, of what you're supposed to do in the in-between, so to speak, okay? Who are you becoming? And all of these questions are housed by the single question that we started with at the beginning. What does the gospel want to do in us? All those questions, they're housed by a bigger question. What does the gospel want to do in us? Do in us? And the answer to that is it wants to move us from living out of fear to living out of freedom. Navigating your life, picking favorites, is you living life out of fear. It may feel like freedom. It may feel like I'm doing this. But you are shackled to someone's opinion of you, for example. You're shackled to the fear of what will happen if I'm not liked by this group. You are not free in that moment, is what Scripture is saying. It's fear that causes us to live our lives picking favorites. And what a, what a blessing it is for the Scriptures to hold that mirror up to us and show us these things. And if we drill down deeper, though, it's really the fear of not belonging that causes this in us. Like I said, what happens if they don't like me? What happens if I'm seen with this group? What happens if I love the wrong people? What will I miss out on if I'm not nice to this person? It's the fear of not belonging. And the gospel comes to us in Jesus and says, wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to navigate life like this? Like if you were really free from other people's opinions, if you're really free from, from the fear of what it is that you might miss out if you're not in this inner circle, what would life be like for you? How amazing would that be? And the answer is you don't have to live that way. The gospel says you don't have to live that way. Every, everyone thinks James is a book that deals in the black and white, do this, don't do that. It doesn't. There's nuance here. Why? Because living a way that pleases the Lord requires wisdom. 
and it requires thought, and it requires, it requires a desire to want to follow the ways of Jesus and to know him more. So for application, let's ask some of these questions about this. We've already asked this one. How are you moving towards others and navigating life as a college student? How are you navigating relationships? Are your decisions to invest in something or someone only driven by what you might get out of it? So it'll be James's test for you. How it might affect your resume. How it might affect your reputation. Are you aware of why you choose one set of friends over the other? James cares about that. What's the absolute worst thing? It's funny, it's a question I never asked. <clears throat> What's the absolute worst thing that could happen if you were not accepted by a certain group of people? Like, would you immediately, like spontaneously, blow up or die? You may feel like that inside, but it wouldn't happen. You'd survive. Could we ask that question? If we weren't even accepted by this group or whatever it is, I'd be okay. <clears throat> And maybe for some of us tonight, the question that, that, needs, that we really need to sit on is, when was the last time being a Christian actually cost you something? It's a hard question. And again, the, the, the goal is not to be guilt-driven. The goal is to hold that up. I want the, the Spirit in my life, I want the Gospel in my life to change me. And if we really want it to change us, we've got to start asking questions like that. What's the real fear here tonight? Does James anger you? What's the real fear here? And is it the fear of not belonging? Um, Close with this illustration. I think I'm closing with this illustration. Is this my last page? Yes, okay, great. Uh, Going way back here to 2004 uh, with a little movie called Mean Girls. I'm sure Ryan has quoted this a hundred times, so deal with me. Uh, this is the Lindsay Lohan uh, deal uh, movie. And just in case you haven't seen it, um, in two, this is 2004 is a high school setting, and in the film, there's, there's a main character named Katie. It's played by Lindsay Lohan. And she breaks into the innermost powerful clique at school, a group of girls called the Plastics. Okay? And the Plastics are run by Regina. But she's going into this group to help another one of these Plastics called Gretchen. And she's only in there to be friends with the Queen, uh, Regina. Um, But Katie's trying to get in here and she's trying to show her 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 whole aim is to prove to Gretchen that Regina doesn't want to have anything to do with you. That she's just being your friend. And so Katie wants Gretchen to realize that Regina is not really your friend at all that she only uses Gretchen to meet her own selfish needs. And in the process of executing her plot, however, Katie stumbles upon a significant truth. And this is what I want you to hear about this. You don't have to go watch the movie after this. Just listen to this. This is what Katie's narrative voice says as her plan is unfolding and she begins to realize the power of the click. She says, the weird thing about hanging out with Regina, remember she's the queen, was that I could hate her and at the same time I still wanted her to like me. Same with Gretchen. The meaner Regina was to her, the more Gretchen tried to win Regina back. She knew it was better to be in the plastics, hating life, than to not be in there at all. Okay? And there it is, friends. Right? There it is. What's the truth behind this scene for all of us? And, like, remember what I said. Like, we never leave high school in some ways. Like, this is for the rest of your life. Many of us, the truth is, many of us would rather belong to someone in misery than to belong to no one at all. And my guess is for y'all tonight, like the, the idea and the sense of belonging is that strong. And so we'll do what it takes. 
We'll go after whoever it is we need to go after. We'll say whatever we need to say. But the gospel comes into our broken lives, friends, and it frees us saying you don't belong to no one. You belong to someone, and not just someone. You belong to the Son of God. You belong to Jesus, the creator of the universe, the second member of the Trinity. And it's his love for you demonstrated by his death for you that has the ability to root out all your fears of belonging. And when that starts to happen, you no longer have to move towards others in hopes that they, and hopes of what they can give you. You no longer have to live by the way of the world, showing favoritism to those who can make you great. You can become free to love as Jesus has loved you unconditionally and sacrificially. And if there's something this campus needs, if there's something this city needs or this world needs, it needs people willing to go out into the world loving unconditionally and loving sacrificially. Not because it's going to create a lot of good things, which it will, because people desperately need to meet Jesus in your actions. That's what that does. You have got to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken and hurting world that needs to know that unconditional love and sacrificial love is possible. That it's real. And James is trying to get you fired up, not to make you feel guilty, but to go out and do something. Get off your hands. Quit sitting on your hands and go and love people. They're going to cost you everything. You want to get married and have kids one day? It's going to cost you everything. All right. That was for free. <laughs> Again, why do we do this? Because Jesus didn't come for the rich. And this is why I'll close. Jesus didn't come for the funny. He didn't come for the good looking. He didn't come for the powerful. He didn't come for the smart, the nice. He came for what? He came for the broken came for the poor in spirit. Look there at verse 5 one last time. Chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and what? Heirs of the kingdom. That's not just a, a, a poverty, a financial poverty. He's talking about something, he's talking about a spiritual poverty. All right, this is, what James, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are what? The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He did not come for the, the, the smart and the good-looking and the funny and the nice. He came for the poor in spirit. He came for the ones who would say, I need you. And you know who, the, who's a, who can say that? Those who are poor in spirit. You know, like, I, I, don't, I don't have it together. Like, I need something. I've been trying all this stuff. I've been going in all these directions. I've been doing all this stuff in college. And where, is it, where, where am I? How has it filled you? I, it hasn't. And guess what? That never, you, that, we, don't, we don't leave that either. That is the rest of your life as well. Like continuing to go down this road, trying to figure out what's going to fill and satisfy, nothing does. And when you get to that point, that's where the poverty of spirit is, that you need something. Your spirit's not full. And that's who Jesus came for. And in this way, he's come for all of us, because we are all poor in spirit, whether we recognize it or not. And in this way, Jesus comes not showing partiality, does he? Thank the Lord. He did not pick favorites in that sense. He did not come looking for the rich and the powerful. He came looking for the broken. He came looking for those who are tired of trying to navigate life themselves. And his love is the only thing then that has the power to get us to stop navigating our lives out of fear. Wondering who it is we've got to try to befriend for what they can give us. We can start navigating our lives in freedom. Moving out towards people 
showing them and offering them the same unconditional and sacrificial love that Jesus has given you in himself. Let me pray for us.